We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. You are listening to On The Daily, the Rotoviz Daily Fantasy Sports Podcast, powered by Rotoviz Radio. Hey everyone, I'm Matt Freeman, Matt at the Oracle of the Action Network and Rotoviz. Welcome to the April 17th, 2018 NASCAR edition of On The Daily. I'm joined by Dr. Nick Giffen, an owner of Rotoviz, a PhD in mathematics, a three-time qualifier for the DraftKings NASCAR main event, and one of the best NASCAR DFS players in the world. You can follow him on Twitter at Rotodoc. Nick, how's it going? Hey Matt, I'm doing great. Um, yeah, it was it was uh, a lot of fun this past weekend. I went to Long Beach for the IndyCar Grand Prix. Um, that was a fantastic race. We were up at the top of the uh, 17th floor of the Hyatt, so on the roof. Uh, they are inside the track, so we got to watch the race nice. from all the way up there. Uh, it was super cool. Uh, it was free drinks, and well, I guess that was part of what we paid for the ticket, but uh, open bar, we got breakfast, and we got lunch, and uh, we got to uh, go down to the pit in the paddock area. It was a lot of fun, so um, it was a super cool weekend, and I uh, was still able to get all the NASCAR coverage done on Saturday there for you guys, and, and you know, ended up, I guess, being an okay weekend if you, if you look at it from the big picture. We'll talk about that, obviously, a little bit more. All right. Uh, just living the dream over there. It's pretty, pretty yeah. nice. It was nice. It was our. It was my wife uh, and I. It was our anniversary present to ourselves. Kind of delayed by uh, a month or so, but uh, we didn't find anything we wanted to do in March for a trip. So we decided to make Long Beach our trip, and we got really good deals on everything. Uh, direct flight on JetBlue from from LA or from Las Vegas to Long Beach, not even LAX. 
uh, was was pretty nice. That uh, definitely beats the drive there for sure. Yeah, uh, awesome weekend. Okay, Bristol. It was a wild event. Uh, it started on Sunday and finished on Monday. Multiple multi car wrecks. Kyle Busch in the end ended up winning, uh, taking the lead with six laps to go. Uh, Nick, how was the DFS portion of the weekend for you? Yeah, it was it was interesting. I thought it was going to be a huge weekend. And it ended up being a very small loss, but uh, it kind of fits right into my philosophy of lose small, win big. I was very happy with my process this weekend um, because, like I said, I mean, basically the whole race I was up, uh, you know, looking at the live. You know, most people shouldn't even look at the live uh, standings or whatever because it's always bound to change. But I like doing it. It's fun. And I was up big for most of the race until Kevin Harvick made his comeback there at the end. Um, he got a fresh set of tires when a lot of people stayed out and that let him charge through the field. Uh, and he, the reason he did that was because he ended up having a loose wheel there. So uh, had Harvick, who was like 40 something percent owned, um, continued to have a problem or had a problem very late in the race or, or anything like that, it would have been a monstrous weekend for me. Instead, it turned out to be a small loss because he was extremely highly owned. But I think that's exactly how I want to play it. I'm very happy with going underweight on Harvick there when he's 40 something percent owned $11,500 price tag. And, you know, he did start dead last 39th. So obviously it was a very safe pick, but I thought uh, given his price tag, if he didn't dominate, uh, it would be very hard for him to end up in the winning lineup. And we talked about this on road of his live uh, that, you know, if, if he didn't finish better than his projected average finish of around 15th, then it would have been tough for him to be in the winning lineup. And, you know, he still finished, I think it was seventh or eighth, something like that. Uh, which going from 39th to 7th is very good. But even then, uh, it was right on the borderline of, of, you know, whether he'd end up in the winning lineup or not. And uh, so I was very happy with the decision to go underweight on him. Uh, obviously, he beat his projected average finish both in the sim scores and in the model. And in that case, he ended up uh, doing a little bit of harm to my day. But other than that, it could have been an awesome day. All right. Well, uh, as you mentioned, Harvick did pretty well. He was in 64 of the top 99 lineups in the $250,000 Gladiator. He wasn't, though, in the actual winning lineup for the contest. Talk about the winning lineup. Yeah. So and that kind of, in a way, justifies the uh, the Harvick fade a little bit because um, or going underweight on Harvick a little bit because uh, he wasn't in the winning lineup. Um, yeah, he was 42.2% owned, but he was in about 64, 65% of the top 100 lineup. So, um, right there on the borderline, but the winning lineup actually was Kyle Larson and Kyle Bush, who I wrote up in my article, both as, uh, top plays, uh, Jamie McMurray, who I wrote up as a cash game play. He went from 31st to 19th. Then, uh, the other three plays were pretty interesting. You had Jimmy Johnson, who started 17th and finished third. I talked about him just a little bit on Road of His Live, and I figured with a lack of buzz around him, he ended up probably becoming a pretty good play. So I think I had 50 lineups. I think I played Jimmy Johnson in eight or so of those lineups, which would make me about 16% on him. So I was slightly overweight on Jimmy Johnson compared to the field. Uh, he went from 17th to third. Funny thing is, last year, in the first Bristol race. He also won Bristol on the Monday after uh, a rain out on Sunday. So he seems to do pretty well on these, uh, you know, the uh, spring Bristol races that get rained out there, but uh, come started 17th, finished third. It was low owned, only 11 and a half percent owned. So I was overweight on him at about 16%. Uh, David Reagan, he is, was in uh, car number 38. It was priced really nicely at $5,400. 
Uh, super great price, and he started 23rd. The great thing about David Reagan, he was fastest in final practice. He had the number one speed in final practice, and he had one of the top, I think it was 13 10-lap averages in final practice. If you look at second practice, which was also after qualifying, same thing. He was right up there in the top 15 in both single and 10-lap speed, given he started 23rd. His teammate, Michael McDowell, was inside the top 15, top 10 even in those times as well. So front row motorsports hit on something this weekend, and both had very good cars. Reagan started 23rd, which gave him more place differential potential than McDowell. So he ended up in the winning line, a great punt play at $5,400. And then Ricky Stenhouse Jr., a very interesting play. I couldn't bring myself to fade him, and I couldn't bring myself to hammer him. So I was almost identical to him in the field. I think I had him in seven lineups uh, of 50, which would be 14%. He was 13.8% owned. So uh, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. started fourth and finished fourth. And normally you think, well, that's not enough to get somebody in the winning lineup uh, because there's no place differential. Yeah, he gets 40 points for finishing position. But he picked up 30 fastest laps. So that gave him another 15 points. And he was priced very nicely at $7,600, which allowed you to get, you know, Larson and Kyle Busch and Jimmy Johnson. So that ended up as the winning lineup. The second most winning lineup I thought was a very chalky lineup, uh, and I did want to talk about that really quickly. It was also Kyle Busch and Kyle Larson. That made sense. The next driver after that, um, you know, is, is Kevin Harvick, of course, was in that lineup. Um, so Kyle Busch, Kyle Larson, Kevin Harvick. And doing that, getting three super expensive guys, you had to go double punt with Landon Castle and Corey LaJoy. And those were the two punt plays I was all over. Uh, they both ended up in the second highest winning lineup. I obviously didn't have this lineup together because otherwise I would have finished third. Um, I just thought it was going to be really chalky because it was a very obvious construction. So even though Castle is 9.8% owned, according to Joey, is 7.5% owned. It was just a chalky construction, and you can actually see that um, – yeah, I think this lineup was shared by about 13 or 12 people. Uh, so it did end up being a pretty chalky construction there. Um, and then Ryan Newman was the, the final piece of that puzzle there. He got 57 DraftKings points. He started 30th and finished 10th. Um, and I wrote him up as a pivot off of Jamie McMurray. Um, so it was interesting because McMurray ended up in the winning lineup with only 37 points. Uh, and Newman ended up in the second highest lineup with 57. And that's just because of the way things shook out with Kevin Harvick there. So really the key piece was – was Harvick going to have a big day or not this weekend? And that affected the winning roster construction. Had he not had uh, the day he had Kevin Harvick, they're getting 79 and a half DraftKings points. Uh, I think I would have had a, a monster weekend. All right, looking at Bristol, did we learn anything for the rest of the year going forward and then maybe specifically for the second Bristol race? Um, I think one of the cool things about the this weekend was – uh, the, the Saturday race was supposed to be, the temperatures were supposed to be in the 60s, like 60, 65 degrees, or sorry, the Sunday race, I mean, and uh, they did end up racing there a little bit, and the High Line came in, um, so there was a couple of grooves of racing, and then, of course, the rain came, washed away the rubber, postponed the race to Monday, and Monday's race was like, the highs were in the low 40s, 42 degrees, I think, was the, the race temperature on Monday, and so we actually got to see the difference in the handling of the cars between 60, 65 degrees and 40 to 45 degrees. The cars are a little bit looser, uh, a little bit, a lot faster. Uh, the cooler temperatures means the cars go faster, um, because there's more, there's more grip available to them. The air is denser, so they, the air presses more down on the cars. So there's more downforce as well, which that more downforce creates more grip because the tires are being pushed harder into the surface. It makes them go really fast, but then also makes them really loose because they're fast. Uh, and the top groove did not come in as quickly uh, whatsoever. So that bottom groove with the, with the, uh, the PJ1 or the VHT or whatever it's called these days, that, that, that compound they put up to you know, make it a little more tacky and to get that bottom groove working, uh, really the bottom line was, was just dominant there. So 
Of course, the second Bristol race is going to be the night race. Very often it's, it's, it's uh, cooler than the fall race, but we had unseasonably cool – spring race, I should say. We had unseasonably cool temperatures here. So we'll have to see – remind ourselves going forward, um, and I've actually already set an alarm on my cell phone for this, uh, to remember to talk about temperatures for the next Bristol race. Uh, I think that's going to be pretty important. All right, good feedback there. Uh, each week over at the Action Network, you write an article with your picks to win. Uh, can you talk about how they did this weekend? Yeah, it was uh, possibly my worst weekend <laughs> of picks, but that's because it's Bristol, and I was trying to—I was trying to take guys that I thought had very good value um, relative to their odds, and it just didn't pan out for for almost any of my picks. Uh, I did say it was good to play either Kyle Busch or um, Kyle Larson as a parlay with your favorite prop bets, uh, and if, if you did that, you probably had a pretty good weekend anyway. Um, but, uh, they're just so low, you know, they were priced so low. I think Kyle Bush was plus 215 and Kyle Larson was plus 450, uh, approximately. And that's just, that's extremely low for a race that's as wild and as random as Bristol. I mean, Kyle Larson actually spun out. He got lucky. He didn't hit anything when he spun out. Um, but he clipped the corner of Ryan Newman's car. It was his fault. He kind of came down on Newman out of the turn, spun himself out and luckily didn't hit anything. And that's just goes to show anything that happened at the start of the race. Kyle Busch's car was absolute junk and he wasn't dominating the race at all. He was terrible. And had that race ended at halfway, Kyle Busch wouldn't have won. Uh, you know, they fell 40 laps short of making it to halfway on that original, original rain out there. So I was very happy with, you know, kind of fading the top two and just saying, play them as with your, you know, your prop bets as parlays. Uh, and then the other five drivers I picked just didn't end up having like the best weekends. Eric Jones was plus 1200. Uh, he was very good. He was leading it or near leading at one point neck and neck with Kyle Larson as they ended the, you know, the Sunday portion of events. And then on the Monday, he just kind of faded from there. Um, car was not very good. And, uh, let's see, I had Joey Logano also at plus 1200. He had an up and down day. He like Kevin Harvick, um, put on a fresh set of tires late and made some moves late. Uh, but was never really a winning car there. Uh, let's see. I had Clint Boyer, who uh, the interesting stat there with Clint Boyer is that, um, you know, half the time he'd finished eighth or better. And once again, Clint Boyer pulled off a top eight finish at Bristol, but exactly eight. So it wasn't good enough. Um, and then let's see, who else did I have? I had Kevin Harvick at plus 1650. Obviously, anytime you get Harvick at those odds, I just think it's a good play. And uh, he didn't contend for the win, but he did you know, press into the top five at points. I uh, thought maybe there could be some strategy implications there. And then, of course, I also had Denny Hamlin at plus 1,200. And Hamlin looked like a threat to win until a loose wheel derailed his day. Uh, loose wheel derailed his day, uh, that was tough to say, and uh, put him two laps down. He did end up getting back on the lead lap, but uh, just you know, too little too late there for Denny Hamlin. who had the wheels, loose wheel very late in the race, and that cost him two laps. He also had it under green, whereas Kevin Harvick found out his under yellow, uh, which allowed him to come in and pit a second time and, and stay on the lead lap there. So unfortunate circumstances, but uh, still pretty happy with the process overall. All right. Uh, obviously, there is a race this weekend at Richmond, and we're going to talk about that. But before that, I need to remind everyone that you can get a 30% discount to a special NASCAR pass through our NASCAR podcast homepage, rotaviz.com slash NASCAR podcast. With that pass, you get unlimited access to all of Nick's premium NASCAR content, and your subscription supports the pod. Also, if you are subscribing to the Rotoviz NASCAR package, you have access to a lot of great tools and data that can help you figure out what's likely to happen in any given race. With all of the research you're doing, you should place some NASCAR bets at mybookie.ag. 
They have a lot of future bets and head-to-head props for each race, such as Martin Truex Jr. versus Kevin Harvick, or Logano versus Kozlowski, or almost any other combination of drivers. Uh, I bet a number of these props each week uh, successfully, I might add, and you know that I know next to nothing about NASCAR. I'm just using the road of his tools to make these bets. You can do the same, and if you know something about NASCAR, then all the better. Uh, I love playing these MyBookie props, and I think you will find that it is a fun way to leverage your Rotoviz subscription. So join MyBookie now, and they will match your deposit with up to a 50% bonus. Use the promo code NASCAR to activate your offer. So that's visit MyBookie.ag, NASCAR. You play, you win, and you get paid. Uh, Nick, at this moment, I should also mention to everyone, which is maybe the most important part in the entire podcast, that we have reduced the price to the season-long pass. So uh, what did it used to be? Yeah, it used to be uh, the season-long pass was 149 We have now reduced it by 30 bucks to $119. Of course, if you're listening to the podcast, you know there's a way to get it even cheaper. That's right. So the 30% discount now means $84 for how many races? 28 races? Yeah, 28 races. I said $28 races on the outline because I'm dumb. But uh, yeah, 28 races, which means exactly. If you if you have, you don't even need a math PhD to do this. Just take 28, multiply by three, and you get 84. $3 per race, exactly, if you use rotaviz.com slash NASCAR podcast to uh, sign up for the rest of the season. All right, sweet. So everyone, just let, let your money flow. Go to my bookie, make a lot of money, and then, you know. Uh, subscribe to uh, to Rotoviz for the rest of the it's season. It's synergistic, man. They go hand in hand. Exactly. Uh, okay. I think this is the first Saturday night race of the season. Am I wrong? Uh, you are correct. Yeah. So Saturday night racing. Who? What could be better than that? Who could want more? So uh, we have the race at Richmond International Raceway. It is a .75 mile D-shaped flat oval, uh, different from any other track on the circuit. Talk about the racing that we normally see at Richmond. Yeah, and uh, I should clarify, this is my fault, but it's called Richmond Raceway now. They removed the international, so now we're just, I guess, national. But uh, it is, uh, yeah, it's a very unique track. Um, It's a D-shaped oval, kind of like Michigan and Auto Club are, but those are two-mile tracks. They're highly banked uh, and and very wide. Richmond, a little more narrow, uh, especially through the turns and flat, so requires a very different skill set, also very different aero package. You know, obviously you don't need to go 200 miles an hour at Richmond. You're probably going into the corners 170 something miles an hour, uh, maybe 180 if you're reaching the end of the front straightaway. But but even then you're breaking a lot because you're going into the corner uh, of a flat track where, where the banking normally helps you turn. Richmond's a flat track. You need to do the car to do a lot more of the turning. So you need to get woed down. You need to have good mechanical grip. You need to have good downforce uh, at Richmond. To, to make it through these corners here. So um, it, it's tough to pass at Richmond. It's just like a lot of the flat tracks, it's tough to pass, but I think it's even tougher to pass at Richmond than some of the other, uh, I wouldn't say all the other flat tracks, but maybe something like Phoenix, it's certainly tougher to pass at than than Phoenix. Uh, so track position is going to be very important at Richmond. It always is. Uh, and, and other than that, it tends to be a pretty tame race. Uh, we'll talk about this a little bit later in the show, but there isn't a whole lot of wrecking. There isn't a whole lot of, 
craziness that goes on at Richmond. Uh, it, it, just because it's a little bit different in in the way that you know wrecks happen versus a track like New Hampshire or a track like Dover, where we, we sometimes see the front straightaway just get blocked and cars just pile into each other. You don't really see that at Richmond because it's more like the D-shaped oval. So certainly a unique track to NASCAR, uh, but it makes for an interesting race anyway because uh, you'll have a lot of nose-to-tail racing and you know from the lap traffic and things like that. Okay, what other tracks can we use to gauge performance at Richmond? Yeah, I did mention Phoenix, and I think that is the most comparable track, the one that people use the most. And it is an appropriate, it's definitely an appropriate comparison. But Richmond, I still think, is unique, even relative to Phoenix. Just it's a little tighter in the turns. Um, there's obviously not the situation on the tri-oval portion, of the, you know, the D-shaped portion of the oval, where you can dive down and cut the corner like you can at Phoenix. So drivers can cut that off at Phoenix. Uh, it's just, um, yeah, I mean, it's... It's its own unique track. You can definitely use all the short, flat tracks. If you want to even use the bigger, flat tracks, you can pull some of that data in. I will say one one uh, view of the data I do look at is looking at just the short, flat tracks, which are Richmond, Phoenix, Martinsville, and New Hampshire, versus all of the flat tracks to see how they impact driver performance You know, when we, when we look at statistics for the model. That view always takes me a couple extra days, so I don't have to the, the, uh, the short, flat versus all flat breakdown yet, but we will have that for the Friday podcast. Um, but uh, I'll be interested to see how, you know, whether all the short flat tracks matter more for Richmond than all of the flat tracks. My hunch is with Richmond that the short flat tracks matter than just all of the flat tracks. But with Phoenix, um, there was some of both that got pulled into the model. So we'll just have to see. But uh, by and large, I think Richmond is pretty unique. The closest comparable is Phoenix. And I think you can use uh, some of the short flat tracks as well, just in general, to kind of gauge performance at Richmond this weekend. Okay. Uh, Richmond is in an interesting position. So in the past, the second Richmond race was the final race of the regular season. Is there a difference in the DNF rate between the spring Richmond race and the fall Richmond race? Yeah, and and of course the reason you're asking this is because when it's the last race before the playoffs, uh, drivers that are desperate to get in or not to fall out uh, can do some crazy things possibly. You know, at least anecdotally we could think that. And we all remember the... The old Clint Boyer uh, spin to help Martin Truex Jr. get in the playoffs, and then uh, Michael Waltrip Racing got penalized to essentially the death penalty. Uh, they had to stop racing basically after the following year because they lost all their sponsorship. Um, but uh, by and large, actually, these DNF rates aren't that different. They're also pretty low. So if we look at this Richmond race, which is the spring Richmond race, uh, there is only a 9% DNF rate going back to 2013. And I say that because that's when we started the Gen 6 car. Um, but only a 9% DNF rate going back to 2013. One of the lowest, if not the lowest, on the on the schedule. Uh, if we go to the race that's just before the playoffs, it's still only a 13% DNF rate. So still very low. And when I say DNF rate, I'm not just talking about uh, drivers that actually DNF'd. I also include drivers that finished behind other drivers that DNF'd. So, like, let's say, um, you know, Jamie McMurray blew a blew an engine on lap 395 and didn't finish, and somebody was still on lap 380 but running. I count them as a DNF anyway because uh, they, you know, they were uh, obviously had some serious problems. Um, so I have a, a, a way of keeping track of drivers who not only DNF'd but also had major problems in the race. And so the we really should say instead of the DNF rate, the major problem rate. Uh, at Richmond is only 9% for this race and 13% for the spring race. Even if you just say they're not statistically significantly different, which 
you can actually do a statistical test and show that they are just barely statistically significantly different. So there is a statistically significant DNF rate. It's not really a practical DNF rate, 9% versus 13%, um, pretty low DNF rate here at Richmond. So you can kind of just average them together and say it's about an 11% DNF rate or major problem rate. And that's very low uh, for Richmond. But yeah, even at this race, especially um, there's a, you know, a statistically significant lower rate than, than at the other Richmond race. Okay. Uh, those low DNF rates make it seem as if Joe Dirt Chief drivers would perhaps be less viable because they would be less likely to move forward uh, because not as many of the actually good drivers would be crashing out. Does that seem accurate? Yeah, exactly. That, that that does seem accurate. Like compared to Bristol this past weekend, you had major wrecks that involved Ryan Blaney when he was leading, Martin Truex Jr. Uh, a lot of big names crashed out at different points. You know, Brad Keselowski ended up uh, crashing. There was there was a lot of big names that that had problems. Uh, this past weekend at Bristol, you're not going to see all of that craziness almost surely this weekend at Bristol or at Richmond. So all those big name drivers aren't going to fall out. And, and then just you got your Joe Dirt cheap drivers that just kind of survive in advance. You know, like your Corey LaJoy last weekend, who we talked about, ended up in the, the second most winning lineup uh, this past weekend or Landon Castle. They're not going to move up from 35th to 25th or 35th or you know 29th to 20th or anything like that. They're probably going to move from 35th to 31st. Uh, so it becomes a little less viable for these drivers. So uh, we're probably going to go with a more balanced construction this weekend. Now, of course, if crazy things happen in qualifying or, or, or whatever, that could change the balance of, of the way we play the slate, just because if all of the expensive drivers are super awesome plays, uh, then it, it definitely changes the balance. So like this past weekend, Harvick was a good play. Uh, it wasn't, I didn't think, again, a great play at his ownership percentage. I thought maybe being under 40% on him made sense, and I still had about 25 30% of Harvick. Uh, but this weekend, it might be that Harvick becomes, uh, because there's, there's, if he was in the same position as last weekend at Bristol, maybe instead of me saying 25 to 30% Harvick, I might say something like 50 to 60% Harvick or something like that, just because this race, there's, or even higher possibly, just because there's less mayhem at this kind of a track. Okay, what are some of the key stats that you're looking for at Richmond to gauge driver performance? Yeah, I think the stats are pretty interesting this weekend. And like I said, we still have the one split that I need to look at that always takes me a little bit longer uh, to code in because I only do it for uh, the short flat and the, and the large flat tracks. So, uh, But this weekend, um, really, we're looking at track position. Track position is so important. So starting position is actually a factor in the model. It's often not because... Um, where you start is usually not very indicative of where you finish. But in Richmond's case, it shows up in uh, – of the top 30 models, it shows up in 24 of them, and it's the 24 highest models in terms of accuracy. So the, the six lowest models it doesn't show up in, but they're also the six lowest in terms of accuracy. So starting position, very important this weekend, uh, and that means quality pass percentage is going to be important. So actually when I when I – Ran the model I always run and try to you know do the filtering of the data the best that I can to find the best uh, most accurate predictive model. Track quality pass percentage in the past comes into play. So Richmond quality pass percentage in past Richmond races. Um, so looking back maybe three or four years at Richmond races, how have drivers done quality pass percentage? So uh, that means are they making passes and are they able to make passes further forward in the field? That's very important uh, because track position is so important. 10-lap average, very important. Single-lap average doesn't show up at all, so definitely 10-lap average. And we will get lots of 10-lap averages because it's a 0.75-mile track, so should be a very reliable number this weekend. 
Uh, and then the two other things are how have you performed this year? That shows up uh, very significantly. And then the final thing is what are your fastest laps as well uh, this year? So not just driver rating, but also how you've been turning fastest laps. And I find that one a little bit harder to explain. Um, I don't really have a, maybe a necessarily good explanation for it, but I think it just means drivers are fast. Uh, I think it's kind of like driver rating, but it's a different way of looking at it. And uh, I think what it kind of means here with Richmond is because there's such a low DNF rate, if you turn a lot of fastest laps, you're right on the ragged edge. That could sometimes cause you to finish a little bit lower if you if you overdo it. But here at Richmond, it's pretty hard to overdo. That's the best explanation I have for it. But it does make the model more predictive. But essentially, year-to-date driver rating, year-to-date fastest laps is is what we want to look at for the kind of the driver quality portion aside from uh, the, the Richmond quality pass percentage. Interesting. You mentioned long run speed. Uh, in practice as something that's important. Uh, Both practice sessions this weekend are before qualifying, and presumably teams will be making qualifying runs in one or both of those practice sessions. So how does practice before qualifying uh, impact the way that you are gauging practice? Yeah, um, so I actually think it doesn't at all, uh, and hopefully it influences people to um, look at single run speed or you know single lap speed and, and get in, influenced by that, and uh, you know maybe skew some ownership percentages. But uh, we shouldn't be looking at single lap speed at all for for a couple reasons. One, it, it's not a significant factor in the model, and two, uh, you, you know sometimes some of these teams might be doing qualifying runs, and so it'll skew how we look at things in terms of practice single lap speed and practice. So focus on 10 lap speed, focus on long run speed. Um, obviously there will be a few teams that don't make 10 lap runs. What you can generally surmise about those teams is that a, they're probably not happy with their car because they haven't stayed out for a long run. So they have kept having to bring it back in for adjustments and B uh, what we can do with those teams is we can use what's called the combined practice average, which again is, is taking the single lap speed from all the practice sessions averaging them, ranking all the drivers, and then using that as kind of a fill-in for 10-lap speed. Um, it's not as good, obviously, but at least it uh, gives us how has the car been, maybe been more consistent or less consistent in short-run speed over multiple practice sessions. Uh, not as good, but I suspect with Richmond being 0.75 miles, we'll get almost every driver doing 10-lap runs here. Uh, so, what you can, like I said, what you can generally get from this is if a driver doesn't do a 10-lap run, um, probably not as happy with the car, but make sure you watch the practice sessions. That's going to be the best way to understand. Um, check out, you know, the interviews and, and things like that. Follow Twitter. You always want to do that every weekend anyway. But uh, you know, I think maybe at Richmond it could be a little more important this weekend uh, for those drivers that end up not making ten lap runs. Okay, who are the top tier drivers who uh, fit the bill in terms of the the key stats for Richmond? Yeah, um, so it's a it's a pretty interesting weekend for um, the you know I guess the top drivers because I think a lot of them fit the bill pretty well. Uh, so if we look at you know past history at Richmond here, uh, and, and again we want to look at quality pass percentage as one key statistic. The driver that leads that is Kevin Harvick. I wouldn't be surprised by that generally at all because uh, we also know how well he does at Phoenix, and we did say Phoenix is the most comparable track. So Kevin Harvick should be pretty good here. Um, Brad Keselowski always shows up nicely at Richmond. His teammate Joey Logano is fourth in quality pass percentage, and so this might be a good weekend to get on Logano. Logano's had a lot of success at Richmond. Uh, average finish of 4.5 over the last eight Richmond races. 66.5 quality pass percentage is good for fourth. Uh, and third is Kyle Busch. So 
those drivers right there make up the top tier. Um, and uh, yeah, I think uh, even if we just cut it to like the last two years of Richmond races and we look at quality pass percentage, you see kind of the same names, Kyle Busch, Keselowski, uh, and then uh, Harvick ends up down there in fifth. And then Logano's a little bit further down, but uh, I think that's probably because of that second Richmond race last year where he just wasn't, wasn't as strong. The whole second half of his year last year just wasn't as good, but uh, if he's back on track, I think he could be a viable driver anyway. So, a lot of the same guys showing up at the top, uh, you know, top tier drivers. And then, um, you know, one name that we didn't mention there was Martin Truex Jr. All right. Um, interesting. Not mentioning Truex. Uh, who knows? We might come back to that later. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, okay. The drivers who are in the middle of the, of the field, uh, who are the guys who stand out based on the key stats? Yeah. Well, one guy that shows up uh, for sure is Eric Jones. So um, Eric Jones he, in terms of his quality pass percentage, it, it's it's not great, but that's because there is a DNF there. If you remove his DNF race, uh, Eric Jones, 73 quality pass percentage, uh, finished sixth in that race. So he should be pretty good this weekend. Um, maybe Kurt Busch always shows up in these views, and, and I guess you can kind of count him in the mid-tier because he's usually in the 8K range. Uh, Kurt Busch, if you remove DNFs and just look at the, since 2016, the past two years, uh, or even if you keep DNFs in for him, in his case, because he didn't have any, uh, a 68.5 quality pass percentage, which is good for fifth over the past two years. So very good for Kurt Busch. And then uh, uh, he actually moves to fourth if you include DNFs because some other drivers had DNFs and he did not. If you go back to the last eight races, uh, he's still fifth in quality pass percentage over the last eight Richmond races. Uh, so 64.3. So Kurt Busch, uh, Eric Jones show up very nicely. And then Jamie McMurray actually shows up nicely in the longer history as well. So there's three guys in the seven to eight K range that I think, uh, you know, we can, we can focus on, you know, maybe somebody like Clint Boyer shows up a little bit less. Uh, Eric Almarola shows up less. So these drivers also had unique situations where you know, Eric Almarola was at Richard Petty Motorsports for the past several years. Boyer in the longer view had, uh, you know, that one year H Scott Motorsports. So, uh, a little bit tougher to gauge there, but um, by and large, you know, Kurt Busch, Eric Jones, Jamie McMurray show up nicely. Okay. Uh, finally, who are the guys, based on the key stats, that you might be looking to avoid at Richmond? Yeah, I think there's some, some interesting names to possibly avoid this weekend. Uh, two names that I thought kind of really stood out, uh, at least in the, in the mid-upper tier, are Chase Elliott and Ryan Blaney. Uh, neither of them have... have Shown very well at Richmond over their careers. Um, if you look at Chase Elliott's quality pass percentage, 38.1. It's way down there. I mean, it's behind like Casey Kane. It's behind Larson, McMurray, um, Kurt Busch, et cetera. You know, some names that he probably should normally be ahead of. Uh, and then Blaney's down there even further at 21.9 quality pass percentage, uh, which is actually only 19th best among all drivers this weekend. Uh, I will say, though, Quality pass percentage of Richmond isn't the only thing we should look at. We should be looking at this year for him. And Blaney definitely has been showing up this year relative to Chase Elliott, who is not. So I think Chase Elliott is a pretty strong fade candidate early in the week. Obviously, if we see practice times, that can change things. Whereas I think Blaney is maybe less of a strong of a fade candidate because he's been so good this year. Uh, you look at Blaney, he's sixth in the point standings. Chase Elliott, 22nd in the point standings. Obviously, Elliott has had some issues with crashes and stuff, and he's He's raced better than his point standings, but he still hasn't raced as well as Ryan Blaney this year. Um, so those two names were, were something to you know, maybe avoid. Obviously, Martin Truex Jr. It being 
where his price tag, we expect him to be. We're, we're of course, recording this before prices come out, but uh, maybe another fade candidate as well. 52.3 quality pass percentage and uh, hasn't been the top tier driver this year. Obviously, he's won a race, but uh, I think Kevin Harvick and Kyle Busch have been a little bit better than him this year. So if we're comparing him to Harvick and Kyle Busch, he doesn't have the track stats to back it up. He doesn't have this year's stats uh, relative to those drivers to back it up. So probably a fade candidate early in the week as well. Uh, Martin Truex Jr. and Chase Elliott were, were definitely two drivers I'm eyeing to fade. Okay, so again, this is the first Saturday night race of the season. Given that, um, what is your content schedule for the race? Yeah, so content schedule um, should be... It should be pretty interesting because qualifying will close all of the Cup Series track activity. Um, there's no, you know, there's no track activity on sat on Sunday, sorry, on Saturday for the Cup cars except the race. Uh, so after qualifying, everything will be done. We'll know everything. So I'll run the model after qualifying. Um, I'll write the article after qualifying. Uh, and then I suspect with the the Action Network betting article, it'll probably take until after the Xfinity race um, for them to post lines. That's usually what happens. There's an Xfinity race or a truck race after, and uh, they wait until a couple hours after that race sorts itself out because um, there might be some betting influence from the Xfinity race. So that would be like that race would probably end around 9 Eastern uh, and then it'll probably take a couple hours after that. So it could be very late on Friday night or early Saturday morning that you get the Action Network betting article up for Richmond. Everything else should be done by Friday night. Road of his live, I probably will record um, just because there's so much going on Friday night. We'll probably record Saturday morning at some point um, after I wake up. So maybe eight or nine o'clock in the morning Pacific time. But that'll give you plenty of time uh, because that's still noon Eastern. It'll be posted and then uh you know, that's that's still uh, six and a half hours before um, the race and normally do Road of His Live three hours before the race. And it'll probably be uh, I'll just get your questions on Twitter and record it again just because of the you know the shortened schedule this weekend. It'll be easier than trying to figure out a, a live show where everybody's happy with. So just I'll post it as early as I can. And that way you can watch it at your own leisure at roadofhiscom slash live, of course, behind the paywall there. Sweet. And that is going to do it for this NASCAR edition of On the Daily. For Nick Giffen on Twitter at Rotodoc, I'm Matt Friedman, Matt F. The Oracle. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to On the Daily, the Road of His Daily fantasy sports podcast powered by Road of His Radio. And special thanks to Randy E. Aguabo for the introduction. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the established Road of His Radio feed. Contact us via email on the daily DFS at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at on the daily DFS. This September at local area Subway restaurants, your meal purchase will help our neighbors in need. Purchase a sub drink and chips and help us donate 200,000 meals to local Feeding America food banks. Subway meal includes any sub salad or wrap with any drink and chips or two cookies. For every two meals purchased through September 30th, participating Subway restaurants will donate one meal up to 200,000 meals to San Francisco and East North South Bay Area food banks. One meal is the monetary equivalent of 10 cents. Meals secured by Feeding America on behalf of local member food banks. So pick up a great meal and make a difference in the community. 
This September at local area Subway restaurants, your meal purchase will help our neighbors in need. Purchase a sub drink and chips and help us donate 200,000 meals to local Feeding America food banks. Subway meal includes any sub salad or wrap with any drink and chips or two cookies. For every two meals purchased through September 30th, participating Subway restaurants will donate one meal up to 200,000 meals to San Francisco and East North South Bay Area food banks. One meal is the monetary equivalent of 10 cents. Meals secured by Feeding America on behalf of local member food banks. So pick up a great meal and make a difference in the community. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.